0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeu. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu. And on this edition of the show, we are going to be looking back on what turned out to be a pretty good week of Premier League football. Arsenal bounced back after a disappointing run of results to take all three points at Villa Park in dramatic fashion. I think we can say that. And Manchester City, who travelled to Nottingham Forest, a game that on paper looked like an absolute banker, he dropped points in it. And so Arsenal, you feel, are back in a very strong position. Put it into this, into this kind of way, if, if you want to look at it, you know, in a more holistic way. Arsenal are only one point worse off than they were before the Manchester City game, having been beaten by Manchester City. Look at it that way. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? It Makes you feel much, much better about things. Anyway, on this edition of the show, we're going to talk more about Arsenal's victory. Up at Aston Villa, we're going to discuss Manchester City's dropping of points at Nottingham Forest. And we're going to have a a brief look at the rest of the Premier League action as well. We'll also save plenty of time for your comments, thoughts, questions, whatever you want in the chat box. And um, yeah, looking forward to this one. I really, really am. If I could ask you before we dive uh, headfirst into the video, please do leave a like on it. If you haven't done so already, if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review and subscribe to the channel if you are new. I want to say uh, a few hellos to some of our good friends in the chat. Big hello to Afsar, to Steve, uh, to Temi, uh, to Chris, uh, to Moss, to Nav, who says, what's good, people? Like this video if the team you support is top of the league. Indeed. Uh, Big hello to Dez, uh, to Steve, to Justin, to Naples, Gunner, uh, to our good friend Trev, who says, afternoon, young Harold. Uh, So (laughs) hope this day finds uh, you well. Uh, what else have we got in there um Billy uh, is with us also uh gangle is with us um third eye boy 85 says what a roller coaster I don't think in recent times I've witnessed a match like that and that Emmy martinez header made me crack up just laughing not even celebrating um <laughs> uh, D Cunningham says Harry why are you not more excited I just watched the gas tank and you weren't happy I was hosting the Gas Tank today, so it's a little bit different when you're hosting. Uh, You'd have probably noticed that on Thursday's show last week, if you saw it, um, I was quite quite annoyed about how things were looking for Arsenal. I was quite frustrated. Um, I was frustrated after the Brentford game as well, but I wasn't hosting those shows. So it's a bit different uh, when you're hosting. You have to be a little bit more um, neutral. Not that I was completely neutral, but you have to be a little bit more of that um and so yeah it was very very different but yeah i am happy i'm i'm buzzing and that's why i love this platform because i get to come and do and say whatever the hell i want um yeah look, i mean just the way everything unfolded on saturday was pretty magical wasn't it and i'd been having this conversation earlier with a friend arsenal winning the game against aston villa was obviously significant in itself but to win it in the way we did just gives us a an injection of energy and an injection of adrenaline that we probably wouldn't have got had we gone there and played actually quite well and won the game 2-0, 3-0, 1-0, whatever. So although it was stressful, although it was in the balance uh, for long periods, and although there was a, a chance that we didn't come away with anything because of how, I don't want to say really poor, because I don't think the first half performance, by the way, was really poor. And I've watched the game back twice now, and I, I it wasn't great. It wasn't as good as it was in the second half. But Aston Villa literally had two moments and they punished us from both. So in terms of the overall display in the first half, it wasn't as bad as some people I think would have you believe. Um, But yeah, look, here we are. It's a great weekend. Arsenal getting their result. And then obviously the Manchester City game was, um, was at least on paper, a foregone conclusion. And it didn't turn out to be that. In fact, it turned out to be the exact opposite. And I remember sort of heading home, on, uh, on Saturday afternoon and looking at the fact that Manchester City were a goal to the good and thinking yeah you know what they've won this I'm not even going to pay attention to it and it was only when I came above ground because I was using the underground it was only when I came above ground and something pinged on my phone and I saw that Nottingham Forest uh, had equalized did I start to think oh my god wow wow um, and then I sort of Thought about tuning into the radio on my journey home to listen to the remainder of the game. And then I thought, no, wait, because I haven't listened to this game up until this point and it's going the way I want it to go. Knowing my luck, if I tune into it, Manchester City will score a goal. So I avoided that and just turned the notifications on on my phone uh, for that game. And when I got home or close to home and I had that notification of the fact that the final whistle had blown it, finished 1 1, I was over the moon. I was delighted because. All of the damage um, that was uh, that, that was done in that defeat to Manchester City had been almost all reversed. Not all of it, as I say, we're uh, a couple of points or we're one point worse off than we would have been uh, had we not lost that game. But yeah, um, you know, it's it's. It's a good feeling, you know, we're in a good place and it was important that we bounce back sooner rather than later. I always said to you guys that the longer this went on, uh, the worse it would be and the harder it would be to come out the other side of. So to be able to draw a line under it, um, it was important. But the win at Aston Villa means very little if we don't go and follow it up with a performance and subsequently a result at Leicester next weekend as well. Um, Let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. Uh, Steve says, sorry, I have to disagree, Harry. I was not impressed with the first half at all. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I was impressed with it. The point I was trying to make was that I didn't think it was as bad as the scoreline suggested. Like, I didn't feel on the balance of play, we deserved to be behind to Aston Villa. I felt like Aston Villa had a couple of moments. They took those moments. Um, credit to them, fair play to them for that. But it wasn't a disaster performance in the first half in which we were lucky to go in at the break Only two, one down, if that makes sense. I think the the way the game panned out was not really reflected in the result or in the scoreline at that point. And thankfully, we performed to a much higher level in the second half and we were able to then go on uh, and win the game. Uh, What else have we got? Um, Abby says in the next 15 games, we need 12 wins. Takes us to 90. I think that will be enough-ish. I think the other thing for me that was really powerful at the weekend outside of obviously Arsenal coming back and winning the way they did is that it once again reminded us and reiterated the fact that this Manchester City side, they're not as look they, they could still go on and win 10 games in a row. You know, I look at their fixtures and I worry, but then I looked at their fixture against Nottingham Forest and I worried and look what happened there. So what we're kind of being conditioned or or starting to maybe understand as as a team going toe-to-toe with the Manchester City side that have been relentless for years, is that actually there is room for them to drop points. You know, we will drop points along the way. Of course we will. We have and we probably will again at some point. But Manchester City probably will too. And looking at that game at the weekend, it was a reminder of that and a reminder of the fact that You know, we don't have to be perfect to win the Premier League title this season. We just have to be better than them. And their level is not what it was. It could still be. And so I don't want to get carried away and I don't want to get ahead of myself. They are more than capable of stringing a 10-12 game run uh, of victories together in the Premier League. They are that good. They are that good, honestly, in terms of the talent that they have. But my hope is that with the Champions League coming back into play, perhaps they're focus being split a little bit because of this desperation for Pep Guardiola to go on and win that competition we could potentially capitalize on that and you know if we're laser focused on the Premier League at this moment in time the Europa League I want to do well in it but we don't have to worry about that right now we don't even come into play until the next round so for now Premier League focus on that let's worry about ourselves Manchester City will pick up points but Manchester City are also capable of dropping points as well. And so it's not all doom and gloom every time Arsenal don't win a game. And that's the bit that we have to kind of, you know, get our heads around a little bit. Um, D says, uh, we must persevere. City aren't the same article. Um, Trev says, that was a great performance, considering where we were coming out of. Yeah, it was in the second half. Absolutely. I thought the second half performance was fantastic. Uh, Moss says, I didn't want Jorginho Harry, but his passing is very good and he's a nice good luck charm uh, with that shot. But it's the counterattacks with no parte that worries me. That's how Villa scored. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit yesterday on the post-match show. Um, what we've got in Jorginho is a player who, in possession, is incredibly uh, capable. And so much so that I think, you know, he's he's come in and he's understood what it is he's been asked to do and he's been able to break lines you know really really quickly and really really effectively um, throughout the games that he's played in and one of the things that people used to pin on Jorginho one of the labels that he would struggle to shake off in the past was oh look at that Jorginho fellow he's just a sideways passer well it goes to show that when he comes into the right team with the right manager Uh, the right coach sort of giving him the right instructions. Actually, Jorginho is more than capable of breaking lines, progressing the ball. Um, My worry with him is, is the lack of mobility. But we said that from the beginning in that when he does step out of that deep line midfield position to help with the press in the way that Thomas Partey does, if he doesn't get there, he's not recovering. That's the problem with Jorginho. So out of possession, we are definitely weaker. But I've said this a million times and I'll say it once more. This guy was brought in as backup, as support. The question was never, is he better than Thomas Partey? The question was always, is he better than what Elneny could offer us and what Conga could offer us? And obviously, El Nenny's out for the season, so he's not even an option now. But in terms of comparing Lokonga to Jorginho, I think we've made the right decision. And for a total of £12 million, pounds, £10 million pounds up front, and an 18-month contract whereby we're not committing for the long term, I think this was a really smart bit of business. Having said that, I don't think we can continue through the rest of the season with Jorginho. We need Thomas Partey back ASAP. But to have that Jorginho option certainly helps. For him to, I know it was an own goal officially, but for him to score the way he did at the weekend and really impact the game, not just in that moment, but in the second half, generally speaking, I think, you know, will boost his confidence and and boost the fans' confidence in him, which therefore leads to more support. And yeah, hopefully, you know, that pays off. A big hello to Robert, who says, when that final whistle went, the relief and joy was immense. And then driving back and hearing the City result was stunning. Let's enjoy it, but put it behind us and focus on Leicester. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Trev says, not going to lie, I celebrated that Forest goal as much as the Martinelli goal. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those where like you hear of the goal and you're almost so concerned about it going pear-shaped that you don't allow yourself to celebrate. That's how I felt anyway. I saw it and I went, yeah, there's still uh there's still quite a bit of time left. I'm not going to get excited or carried away about this. But thankfully, uh Nottingham Forest were able to do the job. But having gone home afterwards and watched the highlights, they were quite fortunate as well, weren't they? Manchester City missed a whole host of chances. Erling Haaland missing the kind of chances that you'd have put your mortgage on him to score. Uh so yeah, we needed a bit of fortune and and we got it. Um in that sense. Uh, Let's see what we've got here. Billy G says uh a double pivot of Jorginho and Partey would be solid. Xhaka is looking a little bit jaded. Again, I touched on this yesterday that, you know, maybe Jorginho could play uh, a little bit further forward where he hasn't got to be that sole defensive line, you know, or deep lying midfield player in the... Uh, absence of a Xhaka if he does need a rest because he does look a bit off it the last few games he has there's no getting around that like I I love Granite Xhaka I've defended Granite Xhaka even when uh, most of the fan base wanted to attack him with pitchforks I've I've always backed him and supported him and I think you know he's he's repaid us in that sense so far this season but there is signs that he's just going off the boil a little bit and I guess the concern about Arsenal over the last few weeks has been that you could say that for a number of players Hopefully this injection of energy and adrenaline that comes off the back of that, not just result, but the way we achieved it is going to kind of re-energize people and give them that little bit extra moving forward. But yeah, I wouldn't be against Jorginho playing a little bit further forward. I don't think you change the system, though, so I don't think you revert to a double pivot in order to accommodate Jorginho coming in alongside Partey, because I think then what you're at risk of doing is moving away from what's worked and, you know, is... Jorginho so good that you should change your system or alter your system I would argue no so if Jorginho had to play in that left eight role I'd probably be okay with that I don't think he's perfectly suited to it but he will get opportunities to get on the ball in more advanced areas and hopefully open up defenses without having that defensive responsibility that Thomas Partey normally does in the team so he's an option there not perfectly suited but he's an option there Um And maybe that was a part of why Mikel wanted him, because he can play a little bit further forward. um, And he gives us that little bit of versatility. The type of versatility that we hoped Laconga would bring in the midfield in terms of being able to be a six or an eight. But we haven't really seen that from him. Uh, Justin says, I was questioning why Arteta did not sub until the 68th minute, but thankfully everything worked out in the end. I always find it fascinating and and this is not aimed at you, Justin, but I always find it fascinating as to how many people complain about substitutions, the timing of them, Um, you know, you know, who come off, who should have come off, who should have come on. It's a really interesting thing to me how uh, people seem to kind of and again, this is not you, Justin, but how people seem to believe that they know better than a Premier League manager all the time. You can have your opinion and, and I've certainly got mine in those instances and in those cases, but, you know, there's so much to factor in and, and, I don't, and we don't see the full picture and we do sometimes jump to conclusions. And one of the things about substitutions, that, you know, I, for example, I've heard some people say, well, this manager is no good because his substitutions are always poor. Substitutions don't always work. You take a little bit, um, you know, you take a little bit of a risk when you make a substitution because, you know, you're potentially disrupting something or sometimes a change that you make can have a knock-on effect in other areas of the park. Sometimes it will pay off. You know, sometimes that player will come off the bench in the way that Trossard did against Brentford and you'll go, bang, what a substitution, elite management. And other times you'll bring on a player who has no impact because the game state doesn't allow them to, and all of a sudden you're the worst manager in the world. So I always find it intriguing the way that managers are judged so heavily on substitutions. Yes, you know, part of it is in-game, and part of it is being able to manage how the thing is is panning out and and understanding and acknowledging, identifying the areas that you need to change up. But, yeah, it's always fascinating to me, that discussion about substitutions. Um, let me take this one from uh, Salibaba, who says... Uh, Harry, do you think we should give Granite a rest when Partey comes back and play him alongside Jorginho? If Granite needs the rest, then yeah. Um, you know, if 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 he needs the rest, then yeah, absolutely. Give him one. Uh, because he's played a hell of a lot of football this season. He's, um, he's worked incredibly hard for the team. And unfortunately, you know, I think we're seeing signs that he is a little bit run down. Um, but I also think some of the things we've seen from him in the last few games have been as a result of maybe a bit of a lack of confidence. Granit Xhaka's confidence was sort of sky high, wasn't it, um, earlier on in the season? And with the team going on a little bit of a decline, I think that's affected him as well. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would probably do that at some point. I don't know when the right moment is. And that's why Mikel Arteta uh, gets um, the big bucks because, yeah, um, He's the one that's got to make that kind of uh, big decision. Uh, Sko says, yes, Harry, there is far too many who think they know better than the actual top of the game. Pros, ex-pros and managers. It blows my mind and the comment section are flooded with these deluded people. Let me be clear. I wasn't having a go at the listener that posed that question or put that comment in. But I do think generally speaking in football, there is a lot of clamour around substitutions all the time to the point where I think it does go uh, a little bit over the top. Arsenal Analyze says, arriving late evening, Harry. Hope everyone is well. I hope you're good too, my friend. Dez says, can we talk about Eddie? Um, Yeah, be more specific. What what, what is it that you want to talk about when it comes to Eddie and Ketia? Let me know uh, in the comments and and we'll do it. I suspect you want to slag him off or criticise him or say, um, you know, that, you know, he's not good enough. He's not up to the standard. It's... It, it's a game of fine margins, right, is is the thing I'll say on Eddie and Nketiah. You know, he missed a good chance against Manchester City in that first half. And within a minute or two, you know, City go down the other end and they score. And then you're looking at that and you're going, oh, my God, he missed that chance. It's cost us big time. You look at that and it, and it frustrates you. You know, it, it really, really does. But then you look at instances like the other day. So... Eddie and Ketia was getting pelters, I thought for his performance. I was sort of reading stuff um after the game, a lot of which was tweets that had been sent out uh, during the game itself, and obviously they'd come up on my feed afterwards. I hadn't been on for a while, and you know they were coming through and i I went home with the with the sort of impression that Eddie and Ketia had a stinker hit the bar on two occasions, I think, um, which again, you're talking very fine margins. You're talking about inches, you know, in terms of the difference between scoring and not scoring. And then I watched back the Martin Odegaard chance. And I sat there and I thought to myself, look, loads of people have got onto Eddie and back. Loads of people have talked about him not being good enough, not being up to standards. If Eddie and you know, continues to press and hassle and close people down in the way he did and, and goes and wins that ball back. I think, was it from Ezri Consa that he won it? He wins it off of the Villa centre-back and then he rolls the ball across the penalty area and puts it on an absolute plate for Martin Odegaard to finish. Martin Odegaard misses the target, drags it wide. If that hits the back of the net, which is completely out of Eddie's control, we are talking about the brilliant Eddie Nketiah who worked his socks off, who kept hassling, kept hounding people down, kept pressing right until the death of the game, won the ball back, uh, and then put the ball on a plate for his captain to finish it into the back of the net. And you're talking about Eddie, the match winner. You're talking about Eddie, the man who, with his perseverance and effort, created the best opportunity that Arsenal had. Martin Odegaard will get all the spoils because he would have been the one hypothetically speaking, that put the ball in the back of the net. But Eddie would have got all the plaudits. Eddie would have been talked about in a totally different light to the light that he's been talking, he's been talked about since that game now at Villa. So I think what we have to do sometimes as fans is, yes, as a striker, you know, big moments are part and parcel of what you're on the pitch to do. Um, But I think we have to analyse performances as a whole. And we have to look at what that player can impact and what they can't impact. And I think Eddie... You know, he hit the bar on a couple of occasions. That's on him. He should do better. He's got to hit the target. Hitting the bar, as harsh as it sounds, isn't hitting the target. Um, But he did excellent work in that situation. And unfortunately for him, a colleague, a teammate couldn't finish it. And now that doesn't get included or, or doesn't get considered when we're assessing Eddie's performance, when actually that was one of the best moments that Arsenal produced in the entire game. Okay, let's take a few more questions and then uh, we're going to move on and talk about the rest of the Premier League. We'll be talking Man City. We'll be talking a little bit about the crisis at Chelsea. Uh, We'll be talking about uh, plenty of other things. We'll be running through all the Premier League results and I'll be sharing some thoughts. You can share some thoughts uh, with me as well. But before uh, we take a few of your questions, we're going to take a very, very, very uh, brief pause. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, while we take this very, very brief pause, hitting the like button, subscribing to the channel uh, if you're new. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review back in a minute. Okay, welcome back to the show. Let's take uh, some of these questions then. Um, Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Um, Christoph says Mikel has the pulse of his team and they respond to him. He certainly doesn't get everything right, but he's miles ahead of where he was when he first started and the club's rise validates that. I think that's brilliantly put, uh, really uh, well put. Salah Hadeen's asking me about Rashford. Hold fire on that because we're going to go over to the rest of the Premier League in a bit. Um, So please do hold on to that and we'll talk about him uh, a little bit later on. Arsenal Analyze says, how do you expect Arteta to manage Premier League and Europa League games when it comes to it? Do you expect him to prioritise the Premier League or do you think we have the squad to push on both fronts? I think we're closer to having the squad to pushing on both fronts, but we're not quite there yet. I mean, there are multiple changes that you can make, you know, depending on who you get in the Europa League draw as well. I think that's really important. But Jorginho would certainly be passable in the Europa League. Fabio Vieira in the Europa League. Emil smith Rose returning. Um you know in ketia when jesus returns there are options for arsenal and he will be in a much better position to rotate than he was at the start of the season given we've brought kivior in and and Jorginho and and obviously leandro trossard as well plus the return of some key players from injury uh hopefully is uh, is in the is uh, is during the not too distant future so i think right now as i've said throughout you know we We want to win the Europa League. I'd love to see us win the Europa League. I personally, as a fan, don't remember Arsenal winning a European trophy. I was too young when it last happened to to remember it. So I want us to do that. I want us to achieve that. But we've got an opportunity to win the Premier League. And at the start of the season, I didn't think that opportunity were even possible. I didn't think that that was even on the cards. And the fact that it is, has has led to me slightly uh, shifting in terms of what I believe the priorities are or what I would prioritize if I were in the dugout for Arsenal. But as I keep saying, the good thing is we don't have to worry about the Europa League for a little bit longer. So let's focus on the Premier League. And when we get to the point where the Europa League returns for us and we look at the draw and we've got everything in front of us, all the evidence to be able to analyze and then decide what we need to do, how we need to go, we, um, we can make that decision from a more informed position. But you know, an opportunity to win a European trophy is huge and it shouldn't be sniffed at, but the, to win the premier league this season would be unbelievable. And it? it would be unreal. Unreal. Um, Arsenal for life says, Harry, when do you think Jesus will be back in the first 11? It's impossible to know mate. Um, It really is because Arsenal have kept so quiet about it. Arsenal have been so coy about Gabriel Jesus's injury. They've not given us anything. Uh, And nothing at all, in fact, you know, we're sitting here and we're kind of waiting for updates and and Mikel Arteta's asked sort of every opportunity, you know, is Jesus close to being available? How far off is he? And Arsenal very reluctant to give a definitive answer on that from fear of uh, putting pressure on the guy. The thing is, or the good thing about Arsenal this season is that we've been able to get goals from different areas. And let's not forget that prior to his injury, Gabriel Jesus was going through a long goal scoring drought. He brings loads of other things to the team. And I think we've missed those things in certain games and I can't wait to have him back. But there's no need to rush him um, really badly and there's no need to take a risk with him. You know, I would rather have him for the last, let's say, eight weeks of the season in a much better condition than have him for 10 weeks. But the first two, he's not quite at it all the while risking uh, further injury or risking further damage to the injury that he already suffered. So it's a difficult one, but the medical staff have to make their decisions there. What I've said to you guys before is that I do suspect that Gabby Jesus is a little bit more ahead of schedule um, or a little bit further down his recovery line than maybe Arsenal are letting on. And it would be nice, wouldn't it, to turn up to a game that we're... Um, Going into in the not too distant future and and sort of getting the team news and seeing Gabby Jesus' name on the bench, for example. So I don't think we're far off, but I couldn't tell you exactly when because I don't know. But you know what? Charles Watts is going to join me on the show tomorrow. Uh, So maybe Charles will be able to give us some insight on that. I'll remember to ask him. Let me make a note of it. Uh, Gabby Jesus. So yeah, tune in for that one. Uh, We're going to pre record it during the day just to. Uh, fit it around both of our work schedules but that episode will be out uh, at about uh 5 p.m uh tomorrow so um stay tuned for that okay uh what else have we got um charis my friend in cyprus says that there will be further twists in the season however we need to stay humble and continue to support the team we all know we've overachieved so far this season so keep supporting the team absolutely absolutely um Vlad says, Harry, do you think it's time we gave Fabio Vieira more starts slash game time? Lately, he's been impressing in the small cameos and Xhaka looks like he needs a rest. This is what we wanted with Fabio Vieira to be able to, you know, blend him in nice and slowly and, and allow him to kind of develop, get used to the English game. And I think we're getting there. I think we're getting closer and closer to that point where I would confidently say, yes, play. The, pro- the reason you can't do it now, in my opinion, is you can't do it without Thomas Partey. You can't put Fabio Vieira in the Xhaka position without Thomas Partey because Xhaka brings a, a physical presence that Fabio Vieira just doesn't have. And he brings a robustness in terms of, you know, his physicality um, and in terms of his ability to kind of make strong challenges, be on the end of them, et cetera, et cetera. I just think with Fabio Vieira, you don't get that. You know, Fabio Vieira, for me, is not quite an 8. He's more of a 10, but we don't play with a 10. So you need to get a little bit creative as to how you use him. And that could be him playing as a, as an 8 in certain game states when we're chasing a goal. And we're happy to take that little bit more risk. That can be him starting from a wider position, but drifting in field. It could be him as part of a false 9 system. I don't know. But he can't, you can't throw him in to replace Granit Xhaka, in my opinion, Unless Thomas Partey's fit and available, even then it's questionable. But you definitely, categorically, shouldn't be doing that uh, with Thomas Partey missing because if your midfield is then Jorginho, Odegaard and Vieira, I think that's a bit lightweight physically. Uh, let me see uh, what else we've got. I'm going to take one more. Then I'm going to jump onto the Premier League stuff because um, I feel like we're going to um, we're going to run out of time. Uh, lots of talk about the Man United game, Uh, Rashford, Sabitzer not being sent off. Uh, Archangel says, Harry, do you agree that Jorginho and Trossard add much needed experience to the squad? I mean, look with Trossard, obviously there's experience there, but he isn't the winner um, that, that Jorginho has been. So in terms of getting over the line when it really matters, um, I think Jorginho offers more there. Um, But generally speaking, Uh, yeah, obviously, Jorginho sort of being an experienced player who's been around the league for a little while and coming into the group does does help in that sense. Right, let's talk about the rest of the weekend's Premier League results. If you've got any questions about any of the games that we're going to touch on now, chuck them in the chat and we'll do a bit of that as well. Let me share my screen with you guys. We'll obviously start off with Saturday's games. Uh, We've done the Arsenal game yesterday. If you want the full review show of that, and you haven't called it yet, yet. you can find it on this channel. You can find it uh, on whichever podcast platform it is you prefer. But let's take a look at some of the 3pm games in the Premier League. We'll start with Brentford against Crystal Palace. 1-1 draw here in the end, and it was a late, late goal uh, from Brentford, uh, from Vitali Yanel, 96 minutes in, uh, that denied Crystal Palace all three points. Now, I told you guys before, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Crystal Palace due to uh, where I lived as a kid uh, at one point, And obviously, uh, because Patrick Vieira is, um, is the manager there as well. But I worry about them this season. I really, really do. I've seen them three or four times live this season. Uh, I've been working on their games and I think they've got spark. I think they've got flair. Um, in Eze and and, and in Alise and, and in Zaha. Um, but I think they're lacking a clinical finisher. I think they're lacking a goal scorer. But having said that, I also think that because they've got so much flair in, in one team, that at times it can leave them structurally really poor and, and and all over the place, to put it quite frankly. And that hasn't served them well. When they scored at Brentford with 20 minutes to go, I didn't think they could hold out, if I'm being honest. I didn't think that that was a, you know, that was a that was game-set match. I, I believed that Brentford had the ability to get themselves back in it. They, they've been a fantastic side this season. But when you concede on the 96th minute, that's got to be an absolute sickener. It's got to be a sickener. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel sorry for them. Um, I've got sympathy for them, but I am worried for them, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Crystal Palace not looking in a good place at the moment. Taking it on uh, to Brighton against Fulham, uh, another game that looked like it was heading uh, for one result and ended up being another. Brighton uh, looked as though uh, they were going to get a draw after being probably the better team. Now, I didn't see this game. Uh, I saw it on match of the day. Uh, as I'm sure of you did, but you only need to have a glance at the statistics here uh, to understand how this one went. Brighton, 65% of the ball, 21 shots in comparison to Fulham's five. They managed seven uh, shots on target, 10 corners to Fulham's two, but Brighton ended up somehow uh, empty-handed. And this was like a bit of a throwback to Graham Potter's Brighton, right? Everybody used to call them XGFC because they would create lots of chances. They would get themselves into good areas, but they rarely had the quality, the, the the sort of clinical nature required to be able to put teams to bed. And they couldn't do that against Fulham and the Israeli international Manon Solomon, who's been linked with Arsenal in the past, uh, managed to pop up and win the game for them. So big win for Fulham. And uh, we'll look at the Premier League table at the end, but they're in a really healthy position, as are Brighton, generally speaking. Let's move on to Chelsea versus Southampton. Things just keep getting worse and worse and worse uh, for the Blues. How Mr. Potter could do with a bit of magic now. Lots of changes in terms of his lineup. I don't think he knows really uh, what his strongest team is. I'm looking at it from the outside in and wondering why he doesn't sort of come to some kind of decision or at least build or work out what his core is going to be. His core six, seven players. And then maybe make changes around that. But it feels to me like it's, it's it's almost as though he's drawing names out of a hat every week in terms of his team selection. And maybe that suggests that he is so confident in the club's line, in the club's public stance, that they're not going to get rid of him, that he has got this season, that he's got time, that he feels he can take this time to work things out. But he is coming under immense pressure from the media, from the fans. I think there was a question put to him this weekend What do you say to fans that have said you're the worst manager this club's ever had? That When you're getting that kind of question, you got to think long and hard about what it is you're doing. And Graham Potter hasn't come in, picked a a style, a team or a core of a team and gone, yep, this is what I'm building towards. Be patient with me. Give me a bit of time. He hasn't given the Chelsea fans anything to look at and say, "Okay, I can see where he's trying to go. He reminds me of the early Arteta days at Arsenal. There's a chance that if Chelsea ride through this and allow him to work and allow him uh, to sort of continue in his process, if you like, that he will get it right and they will be in a really healthy position for it. But at this moment in time, they're struggling. They're in mid-table and um, they couldn't score a goal at home uh, to a Southampton side who was sitting at the bottom of the table. Now, fantastic result for Southampton, a morale-boosting result because even though Chelsea are just a mid-table Premier League side this season. They're a big enough scalp in terms of their name and in terms of the quality that they have to really kickstart a campaign. And Southampton, through James Ward-Prowse, earned that victory with one of his trademark free kicks. Is he the best Premier League free kick taker ever? He's got to be up there. I mean, let me know what you think in the comments. He's got to be up there in terms of how many of them he scores. I can't think, I don't even think David Beckham used to score him. With such regularity did he correct me if i'm wrong i haven't looked this up but just gut feel is that james War prouse is, is one of the very best probably ever in this division um if we have a quick glance at some of the statistics off the back of this game as well um look you can see that chelsea managed 61 of the ball uh 17 shots on target in comparison to southampton's eight but only five of those were on target so they're not really making the most of the positions that they seem to get themselves into. And uh, a lot needs to change at Stamford Bridge. They did lose at Dortmund in the Champions League in the first leg of their round of 16 tie. I still fancy them to turn that around. But if they were to crash out of the Champions League as well, Graham Potter could be in serious trouble. And that's going to be the test. We're going to find out a lot about whether uh, Chelsea have um, actually changed in terms of the way they manage uh, things in the way they manage situations, if they are really all in on Graham Potter or if it's just lip service. We're going to find that out, I think, over the next few weeks. Um, Sam says, what happened to the young Ukrainian Chelsea signed for £100 million? To be fair to him, he's come in, he's walked into a shit show, hasn't he? Like he's walked into a troubled environment. He's walked into a difficult situation and, you know, he's a young lad and he probably needs to have an arm put around him, and and the problem is at Chelsea is that Graham Potter can't put arms around players because there's simply too many of them. You're talking thirty five plus players that he's got at his disposal. It's mad. It is crazy. Um, Sam goes on to say uh, he has been put under massive pressure from all of their signings. Absolutely, it hasn't helped him in the slightest. Um, it really, really hasn't. Uh, Justin says it would be epic if Chelsea miss out on European football. Boyce says he's second behind Beckham by a couple. Is that in terms of overall free kicks scored? Because if it's only a couple, I'd I'd back JWP uh, to get ahead of him. Um, JWP says Vlad is the best one away from Beckham's record, and he has a few more years to go. So it looks like he's going to surpass that for sure. Uh, What else have we got? Um, Lots of you giving me different stats about how far... Uh, He is, uh, or how close he is to David Beckham's record. So um, I'll go and look that one up another time. But yeah, that's enough about Chelsea. As much as it is fun uh, reveling in their misery. Uh, Everton won. Leeds United was another result. Seamus Coleman uh, scoring the only goal of that game on 64 minutes, set up by former Arsenal man Alex Iwobi. Um, I mean, Everton look as though they're turning a bit of a corner. I know they lost the Merseyside Derby. Wasn't the type of game I expected them to win, but they've got to pick up points against the teams in and around them and the teams that they're expected to beat. That's how you get out of these relegation situations and relegation scraps. And to be fair to Sean Dash, it looks like they're going to be able to do that. They took points, three points off of Arsenal, uh, which was fantastic for them. And then they've taken Uh, Three points, uh, obviously, from Leeds United as well. So what's that? Six out of nine? Is it six out of nine? It's pretty good going, isn't it? And signs uh, of a turnaround. I think they've got, from memory, I looked at their fixtures a little while ago and I said they had Arsenal and Liverpool, but then the real hard work started after that. Because if I remember correctly, they had two or three games after Leeds obviously being one of them. That looked winnable and the type of games that they could get something from and potentially build ahead of steam and a little bit of momentum as well. As for Leeds, why haven't you got a manager yet? Why haven't you got a manager yet? I read that Phil Hay from the Athletics said yesterday that actually the idea or the hope was that the caretaker manager was going to have enough to keep them in the division and they'd make an appointment in the summer. You cannot afford to do that. You cannot afford to do that. Leeds United have worked so hard to get back into the Premier League. It took them 16 odd years to get back into the big time. And they're going to piss it all away by being incompetent, not hiring a manager when they need one and allowing this to go on and on and on. They have to get a manager in. I've seen Javi Grazia, the former Watford manager, linked today. Um, Look, Rafa Benitez is out there. Nuno Espirito Santo, um, who we read was in contention. Why aren't they moving heaven and earth to bring him in? Someone who's been in the Premier League, who's finished very high up in the Premier League. He managed to finish seventh twice with Wolves. You know, I know he went to Spurs and it didn't really work out, but Nuno is a top manager who will tighten them up defensively. Rafa Benitez is a top manager who will tighten them up defensively. Sometimes you have to convince managers that this is the place for them. Sometimes you have to go that extra mile, roll out the red carpet, all of that. The leads are in desperate need, and I know that there's a lot of talk about their ownership not being as wealthy as others, and the fact that that's a problem for them. Well, that ownership run the risk of their investment declining dramatically in terms of value if they do not go out and get the right manager and the right manager uh, who can keep them in the Premier League. But credit to Everton, who feel it feels like have turned the corner. Uh, We touched on Nottingham Forest Manchester City earlier on, uh, so we won't spend too long on this one. But Bernardo Silva's uh, powerful strike put uh, Pep Guardiola's side in front on 41 minutes and just six minutes from time. Chris Wood, I've always liked this guy, uh, popped up at the far post to turn in a low cross and get Nottingham Forest their equaliser. Manchester City should have won it. Any other day, Manchester City win that game. They were all over them. Uh, We'll take it on to the statistics here. Look at this. 73% possession for Manchester City. 23 shots in comparison to Forest's four. uh, But only six of those shots were on target for, for City, which tells you all you need to know about the standard of their finishing on the day. Erling Haaland missing an absolute sitter in that second half. The type of chance... I never thought I'd see him missed if I'm being brutally honest. So, um, yeah, credit to Forrest though, because as you're going to see when we come to look at the Premier League table in a minute, um, you know, they've uh, they've improved a lot uh, post the World Cup and um, look in good shape now actually to, to probably stay up, which is um, what the goal would have been. It all looked a little bit crazy when they went out into the transfer market and made a ton of signings. Um, you know, would the players gel? Would they be able to combine? But to be fair to them, uh, you know, they've done well. Uh, AFC Bournemouth got a massive, massive victory away at fellow strugglers. Wolves, people have been talking about Julian Lopetegui's revolution. The fact that Wolves uh, seemingly turned the corner a little bit, I thought they had, looking at their performances, wasn't always reflected in the results. But I had a lot of confidence in what I was seeing from Wolves over the last few weeks, that they were moving in the right direction. Now, this result doesn't suggest otherwise. It's a blip. It's the type of result that happens when you're down around the bottom of the table. This is the beauty of the Premier League. But this would have been really frustrating, I think, um, for Eulen because a game at home to Bournemouth is the type that you would look at and think, we we'll kind of have to get three points from that. Uh, Tavernier with a goal uh, for Bournemouth um, on 49 minutes and Wolves were unable to respond. But Bournemouth have been under a bit of pressure lately. Gary O'Neill's been under pressure lately. So that was a big result for him. And the final game on Saturday was the clash, uh, a top four chasing clash, I guess, uh, between Newcastle United and Liverpool. By the way, I think Liverpool probably finish in the top four now. I think that they're good enough. I think that they uh, can close the gap on those uh, looking to get into those positions or those currently occupying those positions, I should say. And I think the most significant thing about this is that The two goal scorers were Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo, two players who have been criticised, two players who have been labelled as not good enough, and two players who have not had the impact at Liverpool that maybe their fans hoped. Is this a sign that they're turning a little bit of a corner? Is this a sign that they are uh, moving in the right direction? Mo Salah, I thought, had an impactful game as well. He's been a little bit off of it lately. And, um, you know, people keep talking about his contract. It's the dreaded sign a big new contract and then watch your performances go off the edge of a cliff. But uh, yeah, I thought he was really impactful and effective in that game. So um, yeah, I, I think Liverpool, you know, are, are going to come good. On the other hand, I think Newcastle are going to fall away a little bit. And I've been saying this on the 90 Min show for weeks. This is not a new thing for me. I just look at Newcastle and I think they're missing something. They're just lacking in a couple of areas. And for me, they overachieved in the first half of the season, a bit like Arsenal. And so there was going to be a, a bit of a lull at some point, a bit of a drop off, a bit of a decline or a bit of a levelling out, as I prefer to call it. I can't believe, by the way, that scrolling through social media, there were Newcastle fans claiming that Nick Pope shouldn't have been sent off or that the decision was harsh. I can't believe that Eddie Howe said the decision was harsh. That is as clear a red card as you will ever see. You could watch football for 50 years and you probably won't see a clearer red card offence than that. Pope off suspended. Uh, and that's a problem uh, for uh, for Newcastle United, of course, moving forward because he has been outstanding. If we take it on to Sunday before we move on to the league table, Manchester United three, uh, Leicester City nil, a double from Marcus Rashford and a goal for Jaden Sancho, who's just showing signs of getting back to his best. Um, look, uh, Rashford has just been unplayable this season. scored a cracking goal at the Emirates um, <coughs> just a few weeks ago. And he's really, really been, um, as far as United fans are concerned, not for me, obviously, but a breath of fresh air. He's scoring all types of goals at the moment. Uh, Manchester United, let's be clear, in that first 20 minutes were awful. Leicester were all over him, but for some world-class stops from David De Gea, Manchester United would have been behind and would have had it all to do uh, at Old Trafford. But David De Gea pulls off the world he saves, and then Marcus Rashford goes down the other end, gets played in behind after Val Fast kind of stepped out of the defence. In goes Marcus Rashford, and I was looking at that situation, obviously, in real time, and I'm thinking, you got to square that to Garnacho. Like the angle's closing against you all the time. You've got to square that to Garnacho, And probably at any other point in his career, Marcus Rashford does exactly that. But this is a confident Marcus Rashford who's got no plans on stopping. He's He looks focused. He looks concentrated. He's taken his game up to a totally different level. And maybe Eric Ten Hag is the one responsible for that. Maybe he deserves the bulk of the praise here. But Marcus Rashford just took that one. He looked at it and he was like, no, you know what? I can finish that. Bang. Powers it into the far corner. Fantastic finish. Then he gets a second, and obviously Jaden Sancho, who has been labelled as a bit of a flop because of what he cost Manchester United, gets a goal just to kind of show people that he is on his way back to his best as well. Now I've heard whispers and stuff about him, um, you know, maybe uh, sort of suffering from some sort of mental health issues, and and, and if that's true, uh, that's obviously horrible to hear, and and hopefully. Uh, You know, he's come through that, but his recent performances suggest he has. I mean, he might be a Man United player, but he's a human at the end of the day. So, you know, I I don't wish that on him Um, and I wish him all the best. But yeah, I think Bruno Fernandes has been great lately. I think Ten Hag has done a wonderful job at United and I think they're going to be serious competition. Maybe not quite this season. I think that they're a little bit short um, in terms of challenging for the Premier League, although mathematically they're certainly in the race. But I think, you know, moving forward, they're, they're a, a real team to watch out for. And when you think about the resource Manchester United already have, and then you think about what they would potentially have if they do get taken over uh, by the Qataris, then um, there's a good chance that they become the new Manchester City. What's ironic and and actually quite funny about that is they have slagged off Manchester City for years and they are on the verge of becoming what Manchester City have been. Throughout the duration of that period. So, yeah, um, in terms of being state owned and all of that stuff. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But big result for Man United. Disappointing for Leicester, who we play next weekend. And Des says, Harry, Man United beating Leicester. Do you think that's good or bad? Because although Man United are close in the table, Leicester were starting to pick up results. So for me, it's reassuring that next week shouldn't be as hard. Well, I think, yeah, it's it's going to have an impact on Leicester's confidence. Um, certainly, you know, they'd have been in a much better mood uh, had they won the game at Old Trafford or got something from it, which they looked as though they were building towards in the first 20 minutes, but then it all came unstuck. The quality of Manchester United in the final third told and in the defensive third, because David De Gea was immense. Um, But yeah, look, Leicester was always going to be a tricky game and still will be a tricky game next weekend for us, um, regardless of, um, of what the outcome was at Old Trafford. But I saw enough from Leicester in the first 20 minutes to, to recognise they're a threat. But I also saw vulnerabilities that I think Arsenal can hopefully uh, capitalise on as well. Uh, final game of the weekend. Whoever picked this as the Super Sunday had an absolute meh. Um The first half of this was probably the worst half of football I've watched across the Premier League so far this season. It was drab. It was dull. It was awful. Um, really, really poor game of football. Spurs broke the deadlock through Emerson Royale on 56 minutes. And Son Heung-min, uh, who came off the substitutes bench, added the second to put the game beyond doubt on 72 minutes. Tottenham, we know what Tottenham are under Antonio Conte. We know uh, what Spursy means. We know all of that stuff. West Ham are the talking point here. Now, I know that a game away at Spurs is not going to be the difference between them staying in the Premier League and not staying in it. But my God, they're in trouble. They've got no idea going forward. Even when they're in situations 1-0, 2-0 down and and you expect them to take a little bit of a risk and break away from the structure and break away from the rigidness that David Moyes applies. They just don't know what to do. And when you look at that squad on paper, I mean, just let's have a quick look at the team that played yesterday, right? So in terms of teams, right? Um, you know, look at the look at these players. Move it into midfield, right? Suchek and Rice were being talked about last season as an unbelievable midfield pairing. Suchek has gone off a cliff. He's been terrible. Uh Kufal playing at right wing back. I'm not sure about that. Emerson definitely is more of a wing back than a left back for me. But then look, you got people like Jared Bowen, uh Mikel Antonio, who's been very effective in recent years. Uh, Ings was on the bench, Ben Rama's there, Lanzini for nows, uh, there's no Paqueta, uh, and there's no Scamacca, which is obviously a problem for West Ham at the moment. But just in terms of that squad, that is not a squad and not a side that should be down struggling at the bottom of the Premier League. You know, they went very far in Europe, uh, recently and, and, you know, David Moyes was getting all the plaudits, uh, the world had to throw at him at that point, but now things just look really, really different and, and in a bad way for West Ham United and you're going to see that now uh, as we uh, look at the Premier League table. So if we do that, um let's take a look how is it looking currently. Uh, obviously Arsenal back at the top of the league, 2 points clear of Manchester City on 54 points with of course uh, a game in hand as well. So that could potentially be 5 points. That game is at home to Everton and that's coming up on the 1st of March. Uh, Tottenham still sit in fourth place, Newcastle unable to close the gap on them, despite playing a game less. The opportunity against Liverpool was there. Newcastle, however, didn't take it. Fulham sit just at four points outside of the top four, which is remarkable when you consider many people had them as one of the favourites to go down. Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion are just three points behind them, but they've played two games less and are doing fantastically. Also, Liverpool down in eighth. They're on 35 points. They're only seven points off of the top four, but have played two games less than Tottenham. If they win those, then all of a sudden it's just a one-point gap. So I'd argue that Liverpool are back in the race for the Champions League spots. Chelsea are on 31 points, having played 23 games. So their position isn't exactly irrecoverable, but it's not looking healthy. And right down at the bottom, the bottom three are Southampton, who've just parted company just last week with Nathan Jones. Leeds United, who are managerless uh, at the moment, and West Ham United Bournemouth just about keeping their heads above water at the moment Everton uh showing signs with two wins from their last three uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers had picked up three of their last uh, three wins in their last four uh, going into the weekend but were obviously beaten uh, this weekend by Bournemouth Nottingham Forest are pulling away from the trouble uh, they're about level with Crystal Palace now just a point separating those two sides although none of them are clear perfectly just yet. But yeah, it's a really, really interesting season. There's lots and lots uh, still to unfold. And um, hopefully for Arsenal, it ends in a positive nature. Let's go back to the top of the table so you guys can see it there. Look at that. Arsenal top of the league, 54 points, two clear of Manchester City with a game in hand. I feel a lot better about things than I did uh, on Wednesday night. Football can change very, very quickly. There will be twists. There will be turns, uh, I'm sure of that. Uh, between now and the end of the season, but let's try as much as we possibly can and enjoy the ride. Uh, thank you all so so much for tuning in uh, to our weekend review show. Bloody, hell, it's got dark while I was doing that. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Um, it really really does help. We're 19 likes away from the 100 target. If you could um, hit that, I'd be uh, absolutely buzzing, uh, absolutely uh, delighted. Um... So, yeah, please do Uh, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new, if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review. We are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. (laughs) See you later, guys. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.